Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the new PL Principles and Leadership in Business, the podcast series. I'm Paul, host of the new PL, and I'm very grateful you've taken the time to join us today. If you're listening to this podcast on iTunes or Spotify or another platform and you like what you hear, please do take a moment to review us. It really helps with our ratings and our rankings. And if you'd like to ensure you never miss another episode of the new PL, please go to principlesandleadership.com and subscribe. We'd love to have you as part of our community. We believe business needs a new PL, one that is as much focused on principles and leadership as it is on profit and loss. Because we know if your principles are right and aligned with your purpose, and your leadership has a clear vision and focus and strength and empathy, then your business will be in profit and not loss in so many ways. This week, I'm very pleased to welcome Fadus Karas, world-renowned social entrepreneur, founder and chairman of Chocolate Moose Media and thought leader on creativity. In 1995, Fadus founded multi-award winning Chocolate Moose Media, a hybrid social enterprise that has since built an enviable global reputation for producing some of the most innovative and creative social information advertising campaigns of the last 25 years. Fiduce's love of creativity has also led him this year to produce the brilliant book, Creativity, The Key to a Remarkable Life. I've read it and it's a fantastic read. Fiduce understands that creativity is not only key to human growth, but also our survival. As an activist, he has conducted in-country research for his humanitarian projects, including talking to hundreds of mass rape victims, children's rights activists, torture survivors, and doctors in small villages coping with epidemics. He has worked in war zones in Central America, refugee camps in Southeast Asia, and medical facilities, NGOs, and youth centers across Europe and Africa. A fellow of the Royal Society of Arts, he was named one of the world's 50 most talented social innovators and has received more than 112 awards, including the prestigious Peabody Award. Fadus, a very warm welcome to the new PL. Thank you for taking the time to join us. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Uh, you've had a fascinating career to date, by all accounts. Uh, so I think perhaps it would be great to start the podcast by giving listeners a bit of an overview of what you do, how you do it, and who you do it for. Well, uh, actually, I draw a straight line from my social upbringing in India before I came to North America. I was born in Calcutta, and I met Mother Teresa several times when I was eight years old because my mother, who was a British-trained lawyer, Mm -hmm. uh, headed a national non-governmental organization in India, and she took me along to meet Mother Teresa when I was about eight. And that image of Mother Teresa working in a huge room with the poorest of the poor of Calcutta dying on cots is still etched in my mind as if it were just yesterday. Yeah. So from there, my early socialization is what brought me to what I do today. So for the last 25 years, I've been using creativity to basically create something called behavior change communications. Mm -hmm. So what I say is what I do in one sentence is use mass communications to better the human condition. Yeah. 
So I've worked on uh, important issues. I'm working right now on COVID-19. I just finished a video, for example, on called How to Interact with the Police in the United States. Mm-hmm. I've worked on many diseases before COVID-19 on HIV AIDS, on Zika, on malaria, on polio, and so on. Uh, I've worked on a lot of human rights and violence reduction and so forth. So I've been doing that for the last 25 years, and I've reached uh, people in over 188, 198 countries. Wow. My work exists in over 400 language versions now. So well over 80% of the world's population can see some of my work in their own, lang- in their own language. And it's all available free. Uh, anybody can use it and download it for free from my Vimeo channel. So that's what I do. Who I do it for ultimately is uh, the people whose behavior want to change. So there are two ways of doing that. One is you create videos that directly talk to the viewer. Like, for example, on HIV AIDS, I tried to get people to wear a condom to stop the spread of HIV. Or on the other hand, you create what they call a catalyst video where you get a discussion going on issues like sexual violence within the community. And it is that discussion that changes the behavior. Most of my clients are companies or international organizations, uh, the UN system and so on. Now I have pivoted to using my work in creative, creative thinking over the last 25 years to now help companies and individuals create their own creative thinking, get their own creative thinking going. Because I think if there's one thing that the world has changed in 2020, is the fact that we are all affected by what has happened by COVID-19. Mm-hmm. We have suddenly realized for perhaps the first time in a generation, I think the last time this happened probably was in World War II, where what happens somewhere around the world impacts us uh, and that ultimately we are all one human family. Uh, and I think we've had to rethink everything in 2020. And that rethinking has forced us to apply creative thinking. And that's now what I'm focused on. So what defines creativity? I mean, creativity is at the essence of the campaigns and at the essence of your mass communication. It has to be the right type of creativity for the right audience to deliver that message effectively. But what, in your mind, defines the essence of creativity? Creativity is a mental process. It's the ability to think differently by a mental process of original thoughts that leads to the creation of new ideas. Mm -hmm. I think it's very important to understand what creativity is and what creativity isn't. And for example, creativity is not a product. Creativity is not an innovation. Those result from creative thinking, but they're not creativity by themselves. Creativity is applicable everywhere. I mean, there's a painting right behind you. I I notice you're sitting on a chair. Somebody has designed these things. Somebody has created these things out to their own imagination, out to their own mind. And so creativity is all around you. Wherever you look, you'll find the result of creative thinking. But that is not creativity in and of itself. Yes. It's... Creativity as a, as a business discipline has long been, I think, an undervalued asset for business people and leaders. And even though it increasingly creeps up the you know, most valuable asset in business top 20 lists over recent years, for example, there's still a big gulf between 
business leaders articulating the need for creativity in a business and creating an environment and a culture that allows it to flourish and, and that they embrace. How do you build the business case for creativity to demonstrate to the leaders of those organizations that, that it is a business critical asset? Well, first of all, let me say it's not creeping up to the top 20. It is already there. Uh, every year, uh, LinkedIn does a survey of employers, uh, world's largest and smallest employers, and they ask, what characteristic are you most looking for in a new employee? And for the last five years, creative thinking has been on the top, the top, the number one characteristic uh, that employers are looking for. Secondly, I think that if you look back in history, uh, first of all, all the biggest companies in the world uh, by market capitalization today, for example, uh, Apple and Alphabet, uh, Google, uh, and all these, Alibaba, all these other companies that you can think of, that uh, Berkshire Hathaway, that are the biggest companies today by market capitalization, they're not exploiting minerals. They're not in traditional industries like transportation. They're all creative companies. They've all started by one or at the most two individuals. That's it. I mean, Apple started in a garage by two individuals. That's it. So think about Apple as a, as a business example. Who had the first idea of a mobile phone? A company called Motorola. And Motorola had a lock on mobile phones at that time. And nowadays, where's Motorola? Nobody has heard of it. So Apple, Samsung, Nokia, all these other companies came along. So it's not just the business case that you apply your creative thinking at the onset of a business cycle or product cycle, but that you have to keep applying creative thinking throughout a business cycle or you're going to die. And I can tell you one thing. If any CEO listening to this podcast thinks that nothing has changed in 2020 and they're going to keep going exactly the same way they did in 2019, for example, they don't have an online presence, they're going to die. That business is going to die. They're going to drive it into the ground. They're going to be the Motorola uh, coming up uh, pretty soon because I think that we have had to rethink everything, every aspect of business the supply chain, the way we produce, the way we deal with our employees, the way we reach our present customers, the way we market to new customers, everything has had to be rethought. And everything, therefore, requires new creative thinking to be applied. That CEO you've just cited in your, uh, in your answer there who's listening today and realizes that they need to make that change in 2020, what's the first two or three practical steps that they can make from a creative perspective to to reimagine or redesign their business models so they are more open to innovation and to, and to growth? Well, in my book, I actually give eight uh, characteristics or eight aspects that you need to do. Mm-hmm. The first thing is you need to have a creativity enabling environment. So from the most senior management, from CEO all the way down, you need to have an organizational culture that allows creative thinking to flourish. Yes. And part of that, and that's the second point, is you must allow your employees to have creative freedom. And what that means is they must have the ability to take risks and they must have the ability to fail. You know, right now we're in COVID-19. 
I think that there are over 100 companies right now trying to find a vaccine for COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Well, if there are 100 companies, 99 of them or 98 of them are going to fail. Uh, they're not going to be able to find the vaccine, but one or two will perhaps do it. It doesn't mean that the other 98 companies have failed and they're going to stop and go out of business or something. They're just going to get up and they're mm-hmm. going to, because in the business, there's the scientific business of experimentation, they're going to get up and they're going to try something else on some other disease or sickness that they want to deal with. Mm-hmm. The best experts I have found in my research of failure are research scientists. They know that they have a higher probability of not succeeding than they do of succeeding. Yes. So the pharmaceutical industry, for example, is constantly trying to come up with new things. By the way, I'm not that hopeful that we'll find a vaccine on COVID-19 because I've dealt with so many other diseases like HIV AIDS. We've been trying on HIV to find a vaccine for 30 years and nobody's found a vaccine. Mm -hmm. What you can find are drugs, for example, in malaria or in HIV that lessen the symptoms once you get it. But that's a whole different thing than, for example, like polio, where we actually found a vaccine that prevents you from getting it. And I think that the latter is more likely in COVID-19 in the near future, that we will find drugs that lessen the symptoms, but that doesn't mean we won't get it at all. So, uh, so I, think that, I think that every company needs to do this. And within a company, you can't have what is called group think. You can't have, you know, companies make a mistake. They have brainstorming sessions and they have group think and they use focus groups. All of these things, all of these elements stifle creative thinking. Uh, I don't think you can put five people, five of your employees into a room uh, one day and say, okay, now come up with some new product or new idea. It's not going to happen. It is just not going to happen. And research nowadays, and I've, I've been saying this for a long time, but research nowadays is proving that is not the best way to get creative thinking. Right. Because creative thinking is an individual process. It, you know, it's something that we know uh, that we come up with in our own brain. It is using our imagination. It is using our own intuition. So groups do have a place in creative thinking, but what they do is they implement creative thinking. They might take your idea and make it better, or they might implement it. If you come up with a new idea for a product, they might be the ones to fund it or to create it or to market it or whatever. So you, you can take creative thinking and apply it in a group, but you can't actually do the best creative thinking in a group because all you do is call group think and, and that and brainstorming sessions and, and so on are actually terrible. It, it is, you know, Steve Jobs, since we're talking about Apple earlier, Steve Jobs says that fo- said that focus groups is one of the worst ways you can come up with a new product. He, and I quote Henry Ford. Henry Ford famously said, that if I had asked everybody <laughs> what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. Yes. Faster yeah. horses. I mean, they, they, he's quite right. I mean, people can't think outside the box. So that, that's an interesting point you make. And, and I wonder, you know, we've seen some very, very obvious examples recently, particularly in the advertising world of campaigns that have been run 
music videos that have been produced that clearly haven't had a diverse range of opinions around the table when they were signed off. So once that innovator develops that product by herself or by himself, how do you then, what's the process for testing the assumptions upon which they've developed the product, whether that's the type of product it is, the market it's going to go into, the people it's targeting? How do you then test the assumption if it's, if the development is down to one or two people? And that, uh, you're, you're quite right. It is difficult to test it. And here you come into the question of leadership mm-hmm. because it is the leader who ultimately decides. And coming back to Steve Jobs, let's not forget that he was thrown out of his own company yes. uh, for a while uh, and then brought back. It is because uh, the management, the board, uh, in that particular case, they didn't have confidence in his ability to lead the company forward. They were, of course, completely wrong. You can go through history where company after company has made these kinds of mistakes. Kodak is a good example. Mm -hmm. Kodak was told by an independent consultant over and over again, if you don't move to digital photography, you are going to die. And that's exactly what happened to them. They didn't, the leadership was lacking in the company to be able to see the importance of moving. I mean, Blockbuster didn't yep. see Netflix, etc., etc., etc. I mean, you can go through so many companies. So uh, the leadership is is absolutely critical. The CEO and the board leadership and so on is critical in in being able to apply creative thinking, in embracing creative thinking, and allowing people to take risks in thinking about new ways, in making sure that there's, there's, the people are treated with respect who come up with creative thinking. If a CEO ever says to an employee, you know, that's the way it's been done, that's the way we're going to do it, um, I, this isn't going to work, if this doesn't work, you're going to get fired. These are all the kinds of phrases that CEOs sometimes employ. Mm-hmm. They think they're big, being great leaders, they're not. Decision-making, just because you make a decision doesn't mean it's the right decision or you've made it with all the information necessary. I might make a decision to, I don't know, to uh, flap my arms and, uh, and fly off a cliff to show that I can fly. It could be a clear decision by me to say, okay, I am now going to prove that I can fly by flapping my arms. Well, I don't have all the information in that. I mean, it's a silly example, but I don't have all the information necessary to come to the right decision just because I make a decision. And some people define that as leadership, that, you know, you're decisive. Well, hang on. You have to be making the right decision. It's not just that you're decisive by itself. Uh, that That is leadership. Uh, and And people don't understand that. People quite often simply look at people and say, oh, you know, he he made this decision and we're all going to follow along now in the company or whatever. There's something called the herd instinct where everybody Mm -hmm. follows along uh, the leader. And yeah, that doesn't necessarily mean that's the right decision. Yeah. You touched earlier on your your book, which is recently published, Creativity, the Key to a Remarkable Life. I wondered why you felt creativity was key to a remarkable life. What is it that is inherent about creativity that 
offers us the opportunity for a remarkable life. Well, you'll have much more fun with creativity. It doesn't matter whether you're in your professional life or your personal life. In your professional life, you're going to find that you succeed much more uh, if you apply creative thinking. It's a, creative thinking is a transformational way of thinking. It opens mm -hmm. up your mind. You know, we, we eat three times a day to nourish our bodies. We don't do enough to open up our thinking, our minds. And so I go through examples and, and say, this is how you open up your mind, and this is what creativity is, and this is what creativity is not, because it's very important to understand what it's not. This is how you can solve your problems with creative thinking. Some of the best ways you can apply creative thinking is by daydreaming. Mm -hmm. So think when you when you daydream, you you take your mind away from what is happening in front of you, from the stimulus that your eyes and ears have uh, right at that moment. You take your mind away from that, and that results in great creative thinking because there's nothing that is right in front of you with your other senses that is grounding you or holding you to the present. And so when you take when you do daydreaming. The best way to apply creative thinking is to think about your problems, the mm -hmm. biggest problems you have, all your problems. Then creative thinking, when applied correctly, will give you different approaches to the problem, not just how finding all the problems, but different approaches to solving each problem. Then you can come at it from different solutions. And, you know, this is in business, we call it sometimes a, a process of prototyping. Where you, where you create something, you don't fully create it, you just sort of half create it or you create it quickly and you prototype it and then you try it out and then you go to the next one. You can do that with solutions as well. Mm -hmm. Try out some solutions to the biggest problems and you might, you might find, if you're a creative thinker, you might find that the last solution is the best, not the first, because instinctively, as human beings, if you're not a creative thinker, you will stop when you find the first solution to your problem. So you define the problem and you stop with the first solution. And I give a silly example in my book of me being not able to tie my shoelaces very well and keep yeah. them staying tight. Well, mathematically, there are over a trillion ways to tie your shoelaces, actually. And I'm going through each of them very slowly, but I had to get through them. <laughs> if you're a non-creative thinker, you will think of five ways of tying your shoelaces. If you're a creative thinker, you'll think of at least 50 ways of tying your shoelaces. Yeah. So that's the difference in, in, the, in one sentence. You know, it's, a, it's a, again, a silly example, but it's one example of the difference between a narrow-minded thinker and a creative thinker. If yes. you keep applying left brain thinking, if you keep applying logical analysis, for example, to a problem, which many MBA students do, many uh, business students are taught, you know, this is a this is a decision making tree, or this is a this is a, a Y diagram for analysis, uh, and so on. I've seen many of these things. They all stifle creativity. They're all the worst thing you could possibly do to apply creativity. Creativity is a right to brain thinking. It is intuition, it is imagination, it is solving problems. And that is what is required in 2020. I can tell you that any company that does things rote by rote 
over and over again. If you work on a assembly line and you do the same thing over and over again, doesn't matter what it is, even if you're paper pushing, not actually, you know, not actually like producing a car or something, you do that, you're toast. You are going to be toast. Uh, artificial intelligence, robots, uh, creative thinking is going to take over your job. You better start reskilling, uh, relearning uh, how to do something different because you're going to be toast pretty soon. Mm-hmm. I think that the world has completely changed and now the future belongs to the best creative thinkers. And that doesn't matter whether it's in your professional life or your personal life. One of the criticisms often leveled at creative thinking in business is there's lots of creative thinking, lots of brainstorms, very little action, very little output that often comes as a result. So I wondered, what's your recommendation in terms of the best ways businesses can assure that the essence of that creative concept that they've developed, whether it's an individual or a small group of people, gets to the point of producing something that delivers that business a commercial return because there must be a marriage between creative thinking and logical process to deliver that. Absolutely. And therefore, you need to make sure that not only do you have an organizational structure uh, environment that allows creative thinking, but you must allow people to have the money and tools to create that. And you must have the ability. And, and people often say, well, we don't have the money. Well, that's how you apply creative thinking. You prototype it. You just come up with a half thing. I use the example, for example, of the Wright brothers. Mm-hmm. Well, the Wright brothers had the concept of creating a machine that flies. And obviously, that's now a multi-billion dollar industry creating aircraft, Right. Now, if they just had the idea and they didn't have the money and tools to actually make the aircraft, we wouldn't know their names today. Mm -hmm. We know their names today because they had the money and tools and they actually built an aircraft that flew. They weren't the first people to come up with the concept of a machine that flies. Who was that first person? That first person was Leonardo da Vinci who actually drew a modern mm-hmm. helicopter some 400 years before yes. the Wright brothers created yeah. the first flying machine in reality. So Leonardo da Vinci didn't have the money and tools necessary at that time to actually create a modern helicopter, but he might have gotten there had he had it. Yes, That's the point. The point is that every company must not just allow the, the employees to be creative and creative thinking, must give them the money and tools, must have the risk-taking environment, both within the organization uh, and uh, outside, to be able to, uh, whoever's funding them and so on, to be able to take these kinds of risks. It doesn't mean that you always bet the whole company on something. You don't mm-hmm. need to do that. But you certainly need to keep applying creative, creative thinking, prototype it, don't come up with the final, final product, just start with something halfway, try it out, prototype something else, try it out, tweak it, you know, get feedback uh, from, your, from your customers, tweak it, change it, and then finally come up with something. I have a joke about 7up. I don't know uh, how 7up came to be named. <laughs> But I'm presuming that somebody came up with one up and two up and three up and four up and five up and six up 
and, and none of those actually work that well. And the seven up, <laughs> the seventh drink is the one that everybody loved. And yeah. that's how it became a multi-billion dollar drink. I wouldn't be so, surprised. Uh, you know, you apply that to every business. Yeah, yeah. Many, many people are, are naturally risk averse. Um, but as we yeah. come out of the pandemic, many people will also find themselves in incredibly precarious positions through employment, unstable unemployment, redundancy, losing their job and so on. And their thinking will need to be much more creative and adventurous than perhaps it's ever had to be in their lives um, to, I guess, to rediscover the way they can be employed, start their own business, whatever it happens to be. What advice would you give to those who, for whom necessity may force entrepreneurialism upon them and how can they use creativity as a foundation for a more confident future in that regard? Just remember that the biggest companies today started with the brains of one or two individuals. That's all it took, nothing else. So first of all, embrace the fact that you are a creative person because my worry is that a lot of people mistake artistry for creativity. They think that I'm not a Picasso, you know, I'm not Shakespeare. I don't re, I don't write, I don't paint, I don't act, I don't design. That's artistry. That's not a creative thinker. That's not creative thinking. We are all inherently creative thinkers. And if you don't believe me, I'll give you two examples. First, think back to your childhood. Mm-hmm. You were definitely a creative thinker as a child. We all are, we act, we play, we use our imaginations. Secondly, I challenge anybody who's listening to this who thinks they're not a creative thinker to take a big piece of paper, take a pen or a pencil and draw a squiggly line. Doesn't matter what it is. Okay, anybody, you don't need any talent. Anybody can draw a squiggly line. Mm -hmm. Just take a piece of paper and draw a squiggly line. I guarantee you that no matter what line you draw, if it's not a straight line, if nobody has ever drawn exactly that same line. Mm-hmm. Mathematically, it is impossible that somebody has drawn exactly that same line. So you are a creative thinker. You have just created something totally unique, something that nobody else in history has ever done or will probably do. All you did was create a squiggly line. So the first thing I would tell that entrepreneur is a new new entrepreneur is embrace the fact that you are a creative thinker. Mm-hmm. Secondly, have great confidence in yourself. And I say in my book that the one characteristic a high creative thinker needs is passion. Mm-hmm. You need passion. You need to have a belief in yourself that you will succeed. And it doesn't mean that you're going to become a billionaire. Uh, if that's not, I don't want to become a billionaire ever. I'd promptly give away all my money if I did. Uh, that's not my definition of success. And everybody has a different definition of what their success is. Yes. Whatever your definition of success, you will get there easier and faster if you become a creative thinker than if you're a narrow-minded thinker. Thirdly, I would tell that new entrepreneur is that Everybody has had to rethink everything in 2020. It is not like any other year. And so the opportunities for you to come out with something new is probably never been as big as today. Because now 
everybody's open to new ideas. We we suddenly we suddenly had to think about. I mean, it doesn't matter whether you know you have your children at home uh, because they they're not in school, or you're interacting with your boss on on a screen instead of actually talking to him, or you're you're you know trying to get your product line out of Asia or somewhere else, uh, and and it can't get here because the ports are closed or whatever. I mean, everything has had to be rethought. Mm. And, and I don't think we'll go back to what it was. I think there's certain things in business that will never change. I mean, I don't think, I think that the very large retailers, for example, will succeed. And I think the, the retailers that are online will succeed. You know, the, when I heard about COVID, you know what the first thing I told my friends was? Buy Amazon. Mm-hmm. And I, I just said buy Amazon because uh, everybody's going to be online, yeah. uh, you know, uh, and, and of course, Amazon shares have done extremely well this year. It, it's not at all surprising. It was so forecastable uh, because, uh, you, you know, you had to go online. So yeah. just just uh, rethink these things, you know, rethink what what it is that people now need in the new environment that we are in. I, I wrote a book. I was told, I don't know if this is true or not. I haven't personally checked it, but I was told that 80% of books were sold already online before COVID. Well, now it must be 98%. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know what, no, 99%. Nobody's going to a bookstore to buy yes. my book yeah. or any other book. So uh, so I, I don't care whether my book gets into bookstores anymore. I mean, if you had asked an author even five years ago, they would have said, you know, my my biggest goal is to get into, I don't know, Barnes & Noble or yeah. something all around the world. Well, uh, or Waterstones in England. But, you know, uh, books are now sold online. Just be online. Have a great online presence. You're going to sell your book. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's a whole different environment. It has never been a better time to be an entrepreneur. It has never been a better time to apply creative thinking, to think about what is it that people now need in today's new environment that we live in. Yeah. From a social innovation perspective, I mean, you've been nominated as one of the world's 50 most talented social innovators. Um, The issue with all large societal problems, as you well know from your own experience, is that they are exactly that. They're, They're large, they're systemic, culturally and economically ingrained over many years. Yeah. So how do you convince a young budding entrepreneur, social entrepreneur, a young woman or man with a creative idea for a social innovation enterprise that however small their footprint on the world might be or however limited the impact might be on the systemic changes in society that they should still they should still go for it they should still drive that passion well uh, the first thing i would say is that there is no company on this planet anymore that can think only in terms of a profit yeah those days have gone uh, if you don't think of your social environment, if you don't think of your impact, uh, if you don't have more than uh, just profit as a motivation, you're not going to succeed. You might succeed on a very small scale, but you'll never be able to thrive in the new economy of tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Because I think that, again, COVID has, has pointed out to us that uh, we, need to, we need to worry about uh, things like pandemics. We need to worry about the environment and climate change. We need to worry 
about human rights around the world and stability. We need to worry about good governance in the world. Uh, these are all things that it doesn't matter. I mean, you don't have to be a billionaire. You don't have to be trying to change the world. Even if you're making a very small enterprise, you will succeed much more if you think about more than a profit. And it is becoming clearer and clearer and clearer that if you are in businesses that have more than a profit motive, actually your profit goes up. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's ironic. Uh, it, it is becoming more and more clear that businesses that are in an environmental uh, impact uh, with an environment, and I, I don't mean the atmosphere, by the way, I mean the business environment or yeah. the social environment, uh, uh, that their impact is, is part of their bottom line. Mm-hmm. That uh, I, I think that that is exactly what is going to drive their profit, ironically. Yeah. Uh, and, and every company is going to, I mean, the, the biggest companies in the world now, the tech companies, are going to be scrutinized. Uh, no doubt in my mind, they're going to be scrutinized. Yeah. As, uh, and they are, in fact. The Europeans are already scrutinizing them. I think the Americans are going to scrutinize them. Mm-hmm. Um, all these companies are going to have to explain their their environmental uh, and social impact. Yeah. In your view, do you think the the pandemic, and we can think of examples through the through the course of this year, do you think it's demonstrated how creative and innovative and imaginative business leaders are, or do you think it has exposed a real paucity in terms of the diversity of thought and imagination? At, the top of today's business world do you think business has responded well or 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 not or not to the pandemic i think businesses have not responded well i think that uh people were still in uh, in a myopic uh, approach uh, Mm -hmm. until the pandemic hit i mean look uh you i don't think we should put this all on business because frankly politicians haven't uh, responded well uh, either and politicians lead countries not businesses mm-hmm. uh, and and I think that politicians have had a had a great um, uh, well I, I mean politicians have been all over the map in the way they've responded there's been a lack of leadership uh, global leadership on this issue. Uh, there's been a lack of cooperation on this issue. Uh, and I think that there's going to be a lot of navel gazing after this is over as to how everybody reacted. Uh, and we're all doing comparisons. We're all saying, oh, this country did it better and that country did it better. I'm not so sure that's true. I think, uh, I don't know if anybody <laughs> came out uh, doing this really well. Uh, and and I think that that showed a, a lack of leadership. It's the same in business. Who has done best in business? Okay, the companies that are already in the business have thrived. Uh, I mean, the Amazon and the Teledocs and so on of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, Teledocs, a company that does uh, online uh, uh, medicine uh, yeah. uh, with doctors. I, I think these kinds of companies already were in the business and were fairly large or have gotten larger and have gotten more attention, Zoom and so on. But I I do think that generally speaking, the businesses that didn't exist, didn't have an online presence, 
and that's most businesses. Uh, more businesses don't have online presences than do. Uh, mm-hmm. Are the ones that uh, have uh, fallen by the wayside, uh, yeah. and and you know this is this is a this is a pivotal moment in history. This is like Kodak not realizing that they need to go to digital photography. This yes. is that kind of moment for yeah. every business. Uh, if if you're not online, you're dead. You're dead. I'm sorry, but uh, you're yeah. going to be dead. And if you're not online, it's going to be an uphill battle to get the presence necessary online now. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to spend a lot of money as a percentage of your revenue on online marketing yes. uh, to get the presence. And you better be highly creative in that. You know, the one thing that I say over and over again is that the new way of marketing is very aligned to my philosophy that we're all individuals that we are not groups Uh, because the biggest challenge that I've always had in my work is how do I get around the barriers that separate us as human beings? I mean, we all speak languages. Mm -hmm. We all have different religions. We all look at the world differently. And I have said consistently over and over again, even to marketers that actually you have a market of one person, just one person in the old ways of marketing we would have been grouped, you know, you and I would have been English speaking, urban, educated, elite, whatever, affluent people could, you know, buy fancy shirts or whatever. And so the manufacturer (laughs) of fancy shirts would have marketed it to us that way. But now, now every time we click on something where an individual profile is being created uh, of us, every time we buy something, it's an individual profile that's been created. So uh, we are individuals. We, the marketing has to be on an individual basis. And, and I think that's changed things. And, and I think that, that trend, and that's why big data has become such big business, that trend is going to accelerate uh, in, in yeah. the next five to 10 years. Nobody is going to be grouping me just because I speak English or I'm an educated yes. urban, uh, you know, affluent person. They're all going to say, he makes these choices, these precise choices. Yes. We know his yeah. thinking even, and therefore yeah. we're going to market XYZ products to that person, to me, in that example. You, you have, through the course of your career, met some of the most recognized faces on the planet. And, you know, we can go right back to you as an eight-year-old boy meeting Mother Teresa, right up to Archbishop Desmond Tutu yes. and, and everyone in between. Yes. You've also met many who are victims of war and torture and those working with them on the front lines of conflict. Yes. One question to sort of, as we head towards the end of the podcast, I'd love to know, and in, in, in all the conversations and interactions you've had, is there a one profound statement or phrase or, ex, or experience that has stayed with you and still motivates and drives your work today? Is there anything that really stands out? Well, uh, a lot of uh, what Charles Schultz uh, wrote in, uh, in Peanuts, uh, I really like. But if it's one phrase, I would have to say it's Desmond Tutu, since you mentioned him. Uh, we, I, I had done some work on HIV AIDS involving three funny animated condoms, and it was highlighted in a uh, right-wing radio show, very, very well-known radio show in the U.S., and... Uh, and yeah, a lot of things happened after that. I got death threats and so on. And uh, I had written to Desmond Tudor saying, I'm sorry if I embarrassed you because 
the radio show had also brought him in uh, to the conversation because uh, Tutu had supported my work. And he wrote back to me a line, a memorable line for me. He said, uh, put on your tin hat and get back into the trenches. Uh, and I and I think um, I think that line, yes. <laughs> you know, get up and keep going, put on your tin hat and get back into your trenches. You know, it it can apply to all of us in all yes. kinds of situations. It comes back to our risk taking. Uh, it comes back to what you would tell a young entrepreneur. You asked me. Uh, it, that's exactly what I would tell them. Keep yeah. your tin hat on and keep going. Keep going in the trenches. Yeah. At the end of each show, we ask our guests to just give one or two pieces of advice that our guests or our listeners can take away and, and apply to their business. What would those two pieces of advice be from you when it comes to creativity in business? First, accept and embrace that every person in your organization, including yourself, is a creative human being. The extent to which you are a creative thinker differs but you are a creative thinker. Second, understand that you need to expand your creative thinking. You need to apply more creativity as the world progresses and goes forward from this pivotal year of 2020. Mm -hmm. Third, allow yourself and the people under you to fail. Because if you don't embrace failure, you will not succeed in, in uh, creating new ideas and new concepts and fourthly, uh, create an environment and an organizational structure that has people dealing with each other with respect, with supportive relationships, with the money and tools that are necessary to implement their creative thinking. And finally, I would say, just simply understand the importance of creative thinking. It is not an accident that the largest employers in the world have put creative thinking at the top of their agenda in terms of what they're looking for mm -hmm. in future employees. Learn from that uh, survey. Uh, I reinforce that survey. I'm saying also that creative thinking is the most important characteristics a human requires in their professional life in the foreseeable future. Fidus, it's been a, a pleasure to talk with you today. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Paul. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks Thank for you. having me on your show. Pleasure. If you'd like to learn more about what Fidus and his team does or invest in a copy of his fantastic book, please go to www.chocmoose.com. That's chocmoose, C-H-O-C, moose.com. You'll also find the website address and the notes that accompany this podcast. As I mentioned in the introduction, please do take a moment to review us. We genuinely appreciate it and it does make a genuine difference. And if you'd like to subscribe, please go to principlesandleadership.com. And if you'd like to propose a topic or a guest for the new PL, then please also go to principlesandleadership.com and fill out the contact form. So finally, I'm Paul, host of the new PL. Thank you once again for listening and have a great day.